Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Excadratate Podcast. It's time to think things out. That's right. Welcome to the Excadratate Podcast. I'm Michael Kissel, hosting here with you today. And uh, I want to talk today about um, something called social reality. Getting into it, there's there's some news stories that have really brought this out for me in in the last couple weeks. And one was this was this article that I read about Berkeley, um, California, a school out in Berkeley, California, doing a, um, a height privilege workshop experience. You say, what's that? Well, if you're not familiar with the term privilege, you probably heard, you probably have, are familiar with this term, but maybe you're not. Um, the idea of privilege is the idea that some people are given benefits that other people don't have and that on the basis of these of these benefits that the other people don't get, um, there needs to be some sort of societal leveling of the playing field uh, and that we're all to engage in it. And so I'm explaining a lot there, but that that's the concept sort of a privilege. And <clears throat> anyway, so they, at Berkeley they decided to do this height um, height privilege workshop. And it was really interesting to me because in the student write-up about it, they actually at one point said that, um, that height discrimination affects, uh, trans men, women, and women even in, and they said that there's no, but there is no difference in gender or biological sex. Um, there's no difference in, in that these things are just societal constructs but then it goes on to say in the very next sentence and i quote um that women are often discriminated against because men are generally taller yeah 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 so there's no difference but men are generally generally taller so in other words there's no difference but here's a difference and this difference is a problem that we need to solve and, and and that's the idea of, of, of privilege anyway, right? And so, you know, it kind of, I, I mean, I laughed out loud. When I read it and I read the student write-up of the workshop, I really laughed out loud, and it was hilarious to me, but it was also deeply sad. And the, and the reason was is because they couldn't have been believing what they were saying. I mean, I'm sorry, but there's very few people that are able to twist themselves around in such a knot as to say there's no difference, biological difference between men and women. And then directly in the next sentence, cite a general biological difference between men and women um, and say it's the basis of discrimination against women. It's it's a basis, not the basis. There's a big difference there, right? Um, at any rate, because I want I want to present what they said accurately but they don't believe it. They don't believe it. They say there's no difference biologically between men and women, but they don't believe that. And let's be real here for 10 seconds. Nobody actually believes that. Nobody. And so I'm not getting into the rest of that stuff right now, but I'm just trying to make a simple point. Because and and I don't want to lose that in discussing bigger, you know, things, um, in that specific area. So, but why why do that? Why 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 insist on something and and continually tell people 
something that you don't personally believe. And then call on other people to act as if it's true. And it's a great question, right? And it made me think of the emperor's new clothes. If, if you know that old parable, that old story, um, basically speaking, the emperor puts on the put gets hoodwinked. He gets fooled by these people who give him no clothes, tell them they're the greatest clothes ever and that all the smart people in can see them. And so he thinks, you know, because they acted like they could see them that, you know, well, he's not going to admit he's stupid. So he pretends that he, he thinks he's wearing the clothes. And then, of course, because they're all pretending, everybody around pretends because, well, he's the emperor and, like, you know, <laughs> who wants to take the chance of making that guy angry? Um, you could lose your head, right? And so all these people are complimenting his clothes as he walks down the street, and no, none of them believe it until um, a little kid shouts out that the emperor is naked, and then everybody feels free to admit it. Um, you know, sadly, right now in our society, uh, you can scream that the emperor is naked, but it doesn't mean that people are going to stop pretending. Because the cost of not pretending could be high because people will act as if they believe it, even though we all know they don't. What they're doing is they're creating social reality. What a social reality is, a social reality is something that is real or that we all agree or that a group of people agrees to behave as if it's real. It can also just be the real situation of your social uh, organizations. Let me let me give you another um, let me give you another example of this real fast before moving on to, to it. it. Look at look at kids. Okay, kids live in a state uh, where social reality is extremely important. And why is that? Because kids can't provide for themselves. And so. Um, this shows you something, right? They can't provide for themselves. So what mom and dad says, what mom and dad does, what mom and dad believes is very important to a child, extremely important. It doesn't matter if dad is wrong sometimes. Um, if he's the one who your food's coming from, sometimes you have to pretend that he's right when you know he's wrong because you're dependent on him for his needs now. But by the way, parents, if you're a good parent, you try not to do that to your kid. Right? You try not to put them in a position where you make them deny reality to get along with you. That's not good, and that's not healthy. Um, and you're a tyrant if you do that. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you make your kid agree, um, not just listen. I'm, I'm saying there's a very important difference here, right, between having your child listen and having your child need to agree or believe you when you're wrong or unproven, completely unproven. And, and of course, that as, as the child grows older, that becomes more and more important for you to make sure that you're paying attention to. Because you can tell a two-year-old because daddy said so, because they don't have the, the cognitive faculties to argue with you. Okay, but as your child starts to become more and more aware, and, and by the way, even the way you do that, right, be thoughtful about this. But... 
but as they become more cognitively aware, you have to do better and better explaining to them. And you have to do better and better, not just overriding them and teaching them to listen to you simply because you say so. Because then you're teaching them that social reality is the most important thing. And a lot of parents in American society, a lot of parents in, in world history have gone down this route. And so social reality has a strong power on kids and it, and it has a strong power on people as they age because it becomes thought part of their thought process. They have to agree because they fear the penalty of not agreeing. And even if everybody knows that they're lying, it's like, well, if we all agreed to act like this is true, okay, then, well, I guess I'm stuck acting like this is true. And it's ugly. I mean, it's an ugly, ugly thing. I mean, it's beneath the dignity of what we have been made as, what we have been made as people, as individuals capable of thought and free thinking and action, moral agency in the universe. It is, it is utterly repugnant to force everybody to act as if things they know aren't true are true. It's utterly despicable and devaluing to pretend that something that you know is not true is true and act like you believe it and then tell other people to believe it when you know that you don't and you know that they don't and you can just feel the loss of your personal agency, your your ability to make choices and express your will in the world is being assaulted. And it's crushing. You know, I do I do a lot of reading of um, of people in from totalitarian governments that have gotten out and written their books and and, and I've read some articles. Um, about people who have escaped from North Korea and people who lived through the Stalin years in Soviet Russia. Um, the security guard at my old high school was a Cuban immigrant. Um, I spent a couple of mornings when I got to school early talking to him about Castro in Cuba. Uh, and some of the stuff he told me. Um, I think also of, of, of Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who um, has a hard name to say, especially if you've got a muddle mouth, um, like like sometimes I do. And so hopefully I came in loud and clear on that one, um, or I'm going to redub it, right? <laughs> um, you'll never know. Anyway, the, uh, the, uh, he, he wrote that one of, the, one of the most demoralizing things is, is that they knew that they were being lied to. The people who lie, were lying knew that they knew. And the people being lied to knew that the people knew that they knew. And I know that's a lot of knowing, but it didn't stop the lying. And in some essence, he explains uh, in his books that there was no reason to. For them too, they wanted, they wanted people. They wanted to break people. They wanted people to calibrate what was real, just on their ability to exert power over them. And by the way, that's that's typical Marxist 
um, praxis or practice. It's, it's basically speaking that man can become anything if we'll just exert the will against reality. And so government becomes foundational for that. And, and, and I'm really simplifying there. And I hope I didn't lose people either. What I'm trying to say is they're basically telling you that, um, that they can make whatever reality they want in the end simply by the exertion of power. A social reality is the ultimate materialistic reality for Marxists. Um, they even believe that one day the state will oppress people well enough to completely reshape mankind and then in society, man and womankind. <laughs> and... Um, um, and then they become fit for utopia and the government will just disappear because the people will be perfect and they'll have no need for government or the people will be released, transcended or whatever it is. Um, it's utopian communism, right? And so a lot of people don't understand that the states um, that exist are not allegedly the goal of communism. They're supposed to be a means to the end, the transitionary state. And it's supposed to be so oppressive and soul-crushing that it permanently reshapes reality for humankind. And, uh, man, is that immoral. Man, is that sad. And it's been murderous and bloody. And why talk about this now, right? Because um, a lot of what you're seeing out there right now you know that they're lying and they know that you know that they're lying but it's not going to stop them from lying because the goal isn't for you to believe it the goal is for you to act as if you believe it. And if you keep acting as if you believe it and dirtying yourself, they won't care as long as you keep doing it and eventually give yourself over to them. And again, it doesn't mean that you actually have to think that's true, the stuff they're saying is true. It means that you have to act like you think it's true and you have to force it on other people like you think it's true. Reality is hard, right? Um, and the Marxists and the neo-Marxists that are out there in the world today, they're trying to reshape it. Uh, whether it be through various theories, uh, academia, or just by peer pressure, um, you know, it's out there and they want to remake society. And so you got to be aware of that, right? And so w there's going to be weeks where we talk, um, more about that, but I think it's, I think this is so important to flesh out. And I think it's important to go deeper into social reality past Marxism and, and, and past that stuff. And, you know, to thinking about it as a deeper issue on whole, and so I, I love this story. There's this great story from the Persian Empire. Um, 
Don't worry. Don't do the nerd alert and tune out because I'm talking about history. I'm talking to you. Come on. Come, come, come on. You'll, you'll like this. Or, or you won't, but you'll forgive me for it because I'm going somewhere with it. So where I'm going with this, okay? So there's this story in Persian history where Cambyses II, who's this just tyrant. He's just this guy that, that the, the nobles all hate him. People hate him. His taxes were heavy. This is a dude who loved war and everything. And he's got this beloved brother. And, and he, they, they go by different names, various names. But for the sake of keeping the story simple, I'm going to use and probably mispronounce his name, Shmurdas. I'm a reader, not, not as much a listener. So unfortunately, this is, this is one of those names I don't hear said very often. And, and my, um, my cousin, Kevin Gledhill, who's an eminent historian, actually, uh, uh, um, maybe I shouldn't, I don't know. He's my cousin. Is it appropriate to say eminent? Maybe I just feel, yeah, I don't know. He, he's, he's a real historian though. Um, hi, Kevin, <laughs> if you're listening and, uh, he'll probably correct the pronunciation, send me a message or, or, or whatever. And thank you. But anyway, I'm going to call him Smurdus, um, because that's, that's what his name spelled like. And, um, and I don't really have people to talk Persian history with. So there you go. I'm calling him Smurdus. And so, um, Smyrtus is Cambyses II, beloved brother. And unlike Cambyses II, who's hated, Smyrtus is a pretty popular dude. Well, hmm. what, uh, what, what all the, what all the hist- earliest historical records suggest is um, Cambyses was about to go to war from Persia with Egypt, and he does what a good despot does with, um, with a very popular brother he worries might steal his power. And he sends him off quietly to be murdered. Yeah, that's right. He just like pretended to send him out on a on an assignment to govern a satrap or or, or like you know a foreign state that they were controlling, uh, incorporated state that they were controlling away from their homeland, and and uh, he just had him killed on the way. And if you if you you don't worry, you're not supposed to catch a tie in yet. Just follow the story, okay? And so he has him killed on the way, but he doesn't tell anybody because his brother's popular and he's not popular. So what do you not do? You don't tell everybody that you killed the popular brother to protect your kingdom because that's going to put your kingdom in danger. Well, uh, at any rate, somebody pops up pretending to be Smyrtus, <clears throat> and and allegedly Smyrtus was killed. And so, and Smyrtus is pretty popular with a lot of the nobility, but apparently they, they went along with it. Um, and Smyrtus claimed and, and claimed the throne, took the throne. Um, and so they call this guy who did this pseudo Smyrtus, guy who's pretending to be Smyrtus. And it really makes me think because, because yeah, in the ancient world, it's very, very, very believable that most people wouldn't have known who he was, who wouldn't have seen the regular Smyrtus, who maybe saw a likeness on a coin and like, Come on, let's face it. Like, how how good is coinage um, to recognize somebody? And even then, you know, not all the members of the royal family make it on the coinage. So Smyrtus was probably not on uh, his brother's coinage or definitely not well-circulated enough that everybody, and well-printed enough that everybody could know exactly who he was. So it's completely believable that some people believed this guy. But not the court, not not the Persian royal court, not the Persian royal household, and certainly not the closest nobility who served as functionaries in the government um, of the Persian Empire. But they went along with it too. 
And so were they in on it? Well, it's hard to tell because there's this other guy who maybe you've heard of, um, Darius. And Darius recognizes right away, he's of the royal family, that pseudo Smyrtus, it ain't no Smyrtus that he knows. And when he first comes back on the scene, he, he decides to keep it quiet, but then he collects a conspiracy of noblemen to kill pseudo Smyrtus and take him out. And, and, the, and the other nobleman who did this acknowledged that this guy was a fake. Now, now that's the official version of the story, and who knows, you know, was, was it actually Smyrtus and Dar- Darius just made this all up and everybody pretended he was telling the truth? Or did the nobles just Cambyses II was so awful they decided to pretend that Smyrtus was the pseudo-Smyrtus was the real deal and make him the king? Uh and then just changed their mind because Darius said, yeah, we're all lying. And it was like the kids shouting out with the emperor's new clothes. And they said, well, we, we can go with this guy. And and the point is, um, it doesn't matter. Either way, at some point, they knew they were lying. There, there's no version where everybody in the story was telling the truth and where people didn't act as if things were true that weren't. There's, there's no, and I, that's why part of why I found the story so fascinating is because I like to read about it and I like to read the historians arguing about it and trying to decide. And I'm definitely, um, my, my personal opinion is that this guy was a fake and, um, you know, just seems to be what things point to. And so the, that, that would mean the nobility pretended he was real until such time as somebody called it out and then. And then they acted with him to, to conspire to steal the kingdom back from the guy who stole the kingdom. Why did I tell you this story? <laughs> now, you got the lying part and telling lies that you know. But here's something that's really difficult with this. The consequences are still real. You say, well, hold up, hold up, hold up. But the things aren't true. Yeah, but it doesn't make it doesn't make social reality um, it doesn't mean that social reality doesn't have consequences for disobeying, and it doesn't mean that um, it doesn't mean that social reality is is the type of thing that you can just completely ignore and just say, "Well, I'm a, I'm a law unto myself, and I decide what's real and what's not real." Um, well, well, ma- no, maybe you can. Maybe what I am trying to actually say is that you can decide that. But you have to be very aware of the fact that real penalties can be inflicted on you by society. For instance, um, if you have had bad parenting in your life or, or even just good parents who, who are sometimes mistaken, and guess what? That's like all of us, right? Um, then you know this. Like, you know, you have to act as if dad's right or mom's right because if you don't, you know, there's going to be penalties, and those penalties are real. And so um, when pseudo Smyrtus was overthrown, well, when Cambyses had his, the second throne was usurped, and then um, pseudo Smyrtus is killed, what people claimed was reality and going against it really did matter. Look, if you, if you go against what some of these people are pretending is reality, the, the chances are that y- you're going to pay some price for it. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to take some... Uh, you're going to take some heat. 
and you got to decide how much heat you're willing to take and exactly how you're willing to take it. And I want to be real about that because because I, I think that people can blow that off for you, but um, they can blow it off for you, but they don't. But I bet you most people don't blow it off for themselves. And so, um, but all that said, it's not reality like gravity's reality. Uh, everybody in your life can tell you that that you can go jump off the top of a building and not die. And if you did it, you're, you know, a tall building, you're still, you're still going to die. Gravity's still real. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks or what anybody says about it. Um, gravity will still get you. Uh, alligators and crocodiles still dangerous. Some of my Florida friends had to maybe confirm that for me. Um, but <laughs> No, they won't because I've seen the the stuff and, and and they're 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 dangerous. You see what I'm saying? It doesn't matter what 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 my friends in Florida say. That maybe that was a lame joke, but um, you know, Florida man might might be upset with me. And I don't know what type of weird recompense he'll come looking for. You know, a Florida man is a scary man. All my friends in Florida, I love you guys. I'm just just kidding. Anyway, so. <clears throat> but I'm kidding. I can't help myself. It's fun. The um, it doesn't matter what anybody says, right? They're still dangerous, and 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 so there's reality. That's the realities that are like that. Uh, there's things that really happen. There's capital T truth. See, the thing is that social reality can't can't make a capital T truth the same way. It can't make a big truth. Um, it can't make something like gravity real it can't make um a lot of things happen but that doesn't mean that society can't visit punishments on you and so understanding that is the beginning of understanding the boundaries um you know there, there's other ways that that this impacts us but to unpack this just just slightly more You have to take a look at exactly what you're getting out of society, uh, what you're getting out of your social and relational connections, and recognize them for what they are. See, see them um, for their emotional, spiritual, and utilitarian uh, functions. And then do appropriately with them what you should. Well, what do I mean by that? I slowed down there, and me, and I don't want to lose you here. So, um, let me try to say it like this: Look, if some snot-nosed, um, I shouldn't say snot-nosed. There's a lot of great fifteen-year-olds out there. I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to get into that where I sound like I'm putting down the generation behind us. But uh, I don't know. Um, but maybe this is a, still a good way to say this. When some kid that I don't know hops on Facebook and tries to tear me a new one and wants to go five rounds and 80 million insults and everything else and, and they're telling me things and they're trying to pressure me, um, you know, into believing what they say simply because they say it. 
I know better than to respond to them as if it deserves credibility. Um, yes, they are social societal member of the society uh, or world society, and they're acting on me and trying to tell me what to believe and what to do. But you know, why? Like, why would I listen? Right? Like, um, we've, we're in a bad place right now in America, um, where we're so connected into the into the kind of the wide community that we that we've misunderstood the actual nature of our relations and our connections the truth is is that except for very few of us what we what we do online as long as we stay inside some good clear boundaries like not threatening people and stuff like that um you know what we do online is generally not going to endanger what we do with the rest of our lives and how we feed our families um, now that's starting to shift and that's scary and we're, uh, we're going to talk some about censorship and antitrust and stuff like that in the future but but generally speaking um, you can be online and not in danger of losing your your income your income your check over your presence online and doing different things and so so that's good um, but oftentimes we act like when we deal with a troll or we deal with an angry person or we deal with some person who's like a friendly acquaintance who we haven't talked to in 20 years and who's never really held much emotional weight in our lives. Like, like we let these people upset us and it's like y- you got to stop thinking as if and acting as if because you're talking to them in the privacy of your living room or some of you, your bathroom or some people with your smartphones and, you know, they're. Yeah, and or, or at your desktop or wherever it else it is that you're doing this, like, like just because you're talking to them in the privacy of your home doesn't mean they're in the privacy of your home. It does not mean that they're in your inner circle. It doesn't mean that they impact whether or not you make money, whether or not you make get to have food, or whether or not you get to be happy. They only have as much influence as you are willing to grant them. And so in calculating their ability to pressure you in terms of how much social consequence can they actually push on me, the answer is if you disengage or you cut them off, you block them, you move on, you decide, nah, right? The truth is that in most circumstances, they don't actually have a whole lot of power over you and you don't have to worry about them. Besides that, look, you can completely just not engage. And 99% of the time, 99% of the time that you, that you don't need to be online, that you don't need to engage with these people, you're going to be fine. They're not going to impact you. That's social. That's calculating the actual cost, right? Um, if uh, Kami Tim is upsetting you every day, like block them or commie Becky or whoever it might be or, or conservative, you know, fascist, uh, fascist Alfred. <laughs> why Alfred? I don't know why Tim or Becky, um, uh, you know, fascist Alfred is, uh, is harassing you. You don't, you, I mean, realistically, like, you know, you don't have any need to take that into consideration if they're not somebody who impacts your ability to provide for your family or for yourself or they're not somebody that you have a deeper emotional connection with like do the social math and say goodbye and if they are somebody that that the reality is different on then you have to start assessing the cost against 
the cost against your dignity and figuring out the balance here. And, and, and by the way, there's ways to disagree with what society is saying without losing your dignity. And that, that, that's really important because, because there's kind of a couple of different paths here. There's, there's cut you off and ignore you. There's, um, which is part of what I was talking about in the first part. And that's generally the appropriate response for people who don't figure into your deeper life. They're not a member of your church. They're not a member of your family. They're not a member of your household. They're not particularly good friends, all of that stuff. When they get overboard and they start being too forceful, it's like, I mean, and I, I can still talk to people, by the way, and do this and just be like, yeah, you're not getting through. Um, you can't upset me. At any rate, so that's kind of ignoring them. Uh, the second option is to cave. It's to give in. And, you know, I wrote an article at excogitate.net about the danger of caving. And what I said is... Um, it can be easy to be cowed. You know, we say that like, oh, they're cowing you, domesticating you, um, pushing you around. You know, and, and, and that's actually kind of an amazing thing. If you really think about it, the fact that cows let people push them around is is um, kind of amazing. And, and, and I've been to a dairy farm and I've, I've got family on a farm. And so I know that not all cows actually literally let you push them. But in general, they, they're domesticated and they're compliant and they work with you. Um, and and the thing is, is that they they do that. the The farmers do that with the cows for a reason: is to come get milk. The problem with caving, the problem with letting yourself be cowed, is that eventually the person's going to come looking for milk. <sighs> Maybe I want to explain it a slightly different way. Um, it's like when you have a fight with your significant other. And, and, um, you know, and you know, finally that to get some peace, you got to say you're wrong when you don't actually think you're wrong or give in, just give in to give in. And, um, and I don't recommend this by the way, because I think, I think it's said there's that this, we're going to talk more about this third path in a minute. Um, but it applies to relationships too. But but hear me on this, right? And then you give in, and then they tell you um, it doesn't matter because your heart wasn't in it, or they want you to mean it. They're looking for milk, right? Like, like okay, the display, the emotional outburst, or whatever it was, got the desired result. But now they want you to convince them that it's real um, to show that they have the power power over you. Excuse me one second. To show they have the power over you to make you change your mind. Mm. <clears throat> now see, there's some things that that you should change your mind on. And so if you're willing to give the milk in that situation, like, um, real repentance, you're actually sorry, or you actually changed your mind, like do it. Don't, don't be stubborn just to be stubborn. That's, there's, there's no benefit to that. Um, but when you start caving all the time, especially on matters of, is this real? Is this not real? Uh, and you don't mean it. You become like the people living in the communist society who, 
who know that everybody knows that every that about the lies, but everybody's still acting as if they're true. They feel their humanity stripped away from them. You know, in, in the sign of being in an abusive relationship, um, psychologically, emotionally abusive relationship sometimes, and if this sounds like you, um, please, please get help. Talk to somebody. Find out. Find out. Don't let go of it. If the question came up in your mind, is this is this abusive? Is this bad? When I'm talking about this, please don't let it go. Please reach out to 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 a local police or pastor, counselor, wherever the level of things are at that you feel like is appropriate. Reach out to someone for a little bit of help. But one of the things that happens in these relationships is uh, is that they the person gets you to regularly deny reality even when you both know that you're lying because it crushes you it humiliates you it dehumanizes you and it makes you instead of being less under their control it makes you more under their control because you've calibrated the part of your will that's supposed to operate on the truth on them and you're now living in fear of a person. And uh, that's also why the abusers do things like that. One of the reasons why, uh, you know, control, control is powerful. And if there's one way that people seek to be like God, it's in taking control. And I guess taking control over another person feels, uh, makes some people feel like, like God or at least better about who they are and um, they're not and it's not okay but it's real people who seek to do this in society are abusers too and so there's a danger in caving caving when you're wrong is good um, never give up the milk never give up the milk Never go to the length of trying to convince somebody that you believe things that you don't believe. Because um, you want to be able to look at yourself in the mirror. And you want to be able to lay your head down at night. And you want to sleep with good conscience. Think about that. Think it out a little bit. Um, third path. So the third path is is a hard path, but I think if you really look at it from the longer view is what you need to do. Uh, you have to take count of the social math. You have to ask yourself, um, what is the cost? What is the penalty? Is there a way for me to agree to go along without giving up the milk? Um, and, and, of course, this is, again, assuming that assuming that the thing is wrong, right? Assuming that you know it's wrong and that it's not true or, um, you know, it's morally, it's morally, un uh, I'm sorry, I knocked the camera. Um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, ask yourself that cost and see, and see, one, can I, can I pay the cost? And if I, 
can't pay the cost, I ask myself, can I pay with my dignity? And if the answer to no is both, then what I try to do is seek that that middle ground where I make it clear that I'm willing to I'm willing to um, walk the distance with people, but I'm not willing to say I believe it, and I'm not going to be made to pretend I believe it. And if they decide to penalize me for that, I guess so be it. You know, and there are things that are just morally wrong to the extent where, and, and things that are just so blatantly damaging that I will, I won't do that. Like, I mean, if, if, you know, if, if all my friends ask me to pretend or all insist that it's going to rain when I know that there's not a cloud in the sky and nothing's in the forecast and, um, and everything like it, it's like, I could, I can, I don't have to fight with them. I could just say, and, and they're on me to, to bring a raincoat. I can just say, Oh yeah, you know what guys, I don't think it's going to rain, but I'll bring a raincoat. Fine. Right. Because what, what's the cost of doing it? And, and, and it's nothing, right? And so, you know, okay, that's fine. Um, society's asking us to believe some things are real that, that, that are a lot more damaging. Um, that are harmful to people. And uh, we got to say no, you know. And so, so, so that third path, um, where we could go along with, we could go along with people to a certain extent, but make it clear about our disagreements. That can apply for a wide variety of trivial things. It can even apply to more trivial political matters, where where I'm not in 100% agreement with the policy. You're not asking me to pretend that it's that everything that you're saying is right. You're just asking me to accept. And th- that, that's, that's the heart of a good compromise, right? The heart of a good compromise is, um, is that I give in on the things that are not costly or damaging or um, an assault on my dignity or my sense of reality. But, you know, um, but I also get some something, some sort of utility out of it and as long as we're acknowledging that both of us in good faith or all both parties in good faith, then compromise works. Um, you know, some point in the near future, I'm going to talk a lot more about um, moderates and why there's no such there's no such thing as a real moderate in America um, or in, in American politics. And boy, do I I'm expecting the hate when I get to that one. Um, but one of the big problems in America is that we, we don't we don't have that type of compromise. We have. um Usually we take the worst of everything and we put it together and and we take the thing that, you know, we try to do our best to force the other side to accept something that they desperately hate instead of looking for the things that we genuinely agree on. And and that's because we're negotiating as if um, as if we're enemies instead of dialoguing as if we're spouses, as if we're people who need to live in relationship with one another. Um, for the common benefit and like that's a subject I want to get to in the very near future too Um, you know we can we can either be real enemies uh, or we can work on dialogue and that doesn't mean that there's not like debate and hard stuff it just it just means that you know we, we do that hard stuff but we do it inside of certain boundaries and we also don't try to force people 
into saying things um, that they don't believe is true. In fact, that's a basic tenet of human decency is to never manipulate a person to the extent where you try to get them to pretend something they don't believe is true is true. Um, so that third path, um, seeking compromise, seeking to figure out if it's a cost I can bear, seeking um, to to tell a person this far but no further, and I don't give in to your sense of reality. Um, and actually, I think I said there's three, but the truth is that there's there's that um, we can cave, right? Um, we can cave. We can compromise, or or find that way that we work out, or we can just refuse um, and accept whatever whatever those consequences are too. And knowing the cost of refusal is important, but also knowing the cost of, of accepting it is important. I want to give um, one last example here and, and maybe, maybe put this in a slightly different light outside of politics and philosophy. Um, but social reality has a bind on us even when other people aren't actively pushing it. And what I'm, what I mean by that is this, like I, I saw in 2008, I saw house prices, um, in valuations, you know, sky high 2007, 2008. And I knew several people who needed to sell their house. Um, and they were holding on and holding on and holding on and holding on. Um, to these high price valuations that they convinced themselves that they were going to get because they didn't want their neighbors to know that they're the person that sold lower. Uh, they didn't want their neighbors to to think that way about them. They didn't want their friends to think that they lost all this money in the house. I mean, lo- losing money in your house is a hard is a hard thing because you know people aren't supposed to lose money in houses in America. Real estate's supposed to go up. You even hear people say things like real estate always goes up. Real estate does not always go up. It generally does, but it doesn't always. So remember that, right? There's no such thing as a 100% guaranteed investment. There's wise, well-balanced, and smart investments, but there's no guaranteed investment. I'm sorry, that's a complete tangent, but I need to say that to people because I get tired of hearing people say this guaranteed. It's not guaranteed. How could a finite being, a limited being, ever guarantee anything into the future? Can't. Anyway, so, so, but you're not supposed to lose money on houses, and so people think you're kind of dumb when you do. And, you know, people think you're kind of smart when you make a lot of money on your house, and people, people take a lot of pride in their home, and they think, start to think that the higher valuations mean something about them as, pe- as a person. 
and they have this perception of what they think other people think because of their house. And maybe some of that's true, but, but people don't even have to say anything to you. It's really, really, really hard for people to take under what they think is market or going value for their home because it's like admitting that they are less than the other people in the marketplace. See social reality acting even if people aren't saying anything specifically towards it. And so I watched people struggle with this for a couple of years, several people too. I'm not naming anybody or thinking of anybody specifically. Um, well, I, that's not true. I said that the wrong way. I am thinking about people specifically. I'm not naming them specifically and I'm not putting them down because it's a hard thing. Um, and it's hard to accept losses when they come in. And that's, that's a different thing. It's, it's not all vanity and fear of people, but, but there's a lot of vanity and fear of people in this type of behavior, generally speaking. And so they kept lowering their house price behind where the market did. And in the end, these, this one couple that I know uh, actually sold for $130,000 less than what they what they probably would have gotten it to if they would have listened to their real estate agent at the very beginning of all the trouble and taken an $8,000, $9,000, which, which on a home that size was nothing haircut. I mean, not that eight thousand, nine thousand dollars is is ever nothing. It's not. I mean, if, if you got eight, nine thousand dollars and you feel like it's nothing, like send it to me and I'll double check. As long as you don't want it back. So, uh, so, so that's also hard too, accepting that cost. But accepting the way it made them feel about themselves was even harder. And uh, maybe one day, you know, this friend would be willing to talk about it more publicly, like we've talked about it in private but I would never put them on the spot. Um, so that social reality, that concept of what people would think about them cost them a lot of money and it hurt them. So you can refuse to accept that things are changing. Um, you can worry about what other people think of you uh, or what other people pretend that they think. Or, you know, what you're supposed to pretend that they think. Um, and it's going to be costly. Whether it be your dignity or actual money. It's much better to, to have a sense of reality that acknowledges uh, our interdependence on other people. But doesn't elevate them to the place of God doesn't elevate them to the place of um, truth definer in your life. And there's things that we should never yield to other people. And, and that's one of them. We shouldn't yield our good sense, our conscience, our decency, our moral action. So to finish where, where I started, um, the last thought on all this for, for the moment being, because this is a conversation. I keep hitting that camera. I'm so sorry. Um, the, uh, the last thing I started with that I started with is also the first thing that's now the last thing. <laughs> is that we shouldn't, we shouldn't pretend that we believe that people are being truthful 
when we all know they're lying either. Um, I know I've touched on this a little bit, but like, you know, my first response to, to if I was talking to the student who wrote that, wrote, did that write up for the Berkeley Height thing, first thing I would say is, you don't believe that. We can't keep having conversations where we allow people's emotions and faux outrage to blow our doors off and shut us down because we're yielding to their power and we're enhancing their power to do these things. And at the end of it is the loss of human dignity. At a lot, it's an end to the sense of self and who God made you to be. And that's no good. It's not something that we should cave to. That's definitely not something we should cave to. When we know that they know that they're lying, we should call people on it. We just should. That's been a conviction of mine over this last year. And, and, and I got to be honest with you. Um, I think it's made my life a little better. I think I think I used to I, I used to argue with people uh, that I knew were lying that I that I knew didn't believe the things that they were saying, and uh, I'd argue with them, and it was very frustrating because I could tell that they were trying to bully me, and I was trying to deal with it without having to admit that I knew that they were trying to bully me, and and I was playing by some sort of social conventional rule. I guess that whoever is most upset is right, or that's not that's not the right way to put it. But that being sensitive of people's feelings means pretending that they're real, that they're that they're based on not that the, the feelings are real. <sighs> Better way to say this. See, this is how confusing this is. That people are being genuine about the reasons that they feel the way they feel. So so I said I was gonna end, but you know, this this is too important. This is way too important. Because it ties into another news story, and, th and this is probably the better place to end overall. When Justice Kavanaugh went to to be reviewed for the Supreme Court, people said they believed Christine Blasey Ford um, and her allegations against him, even though she didn't know uh, the place, the time, or any witnesses of the act. Um, they called her story credible. And it's like, credible about what? She didn't give you anything that you could actually follow up. She gave you nothing that you could verify. There's, there's nothing credible about it. In fact, it's the exact opposite of a credible story. When there's absolutely zero facts that you can, that you can, um, that you can actually like prove, what you'd have is not a credible, you can't credit it. You can't, there's not, that, that's the exact opposite, right? When there's nothing to confirm, it's not a credible story. You could say it's believable. You could say that you think you might believe her, but you can't call it credible. And what happened was with this Justin Kavanaugh thing, because the, the, the desperation to maintain that Supreme Court seat was so strong, was that people started saying, believe women, and I believe her. And what they were trying to say was, we can form a reality based off what we say we believe, strong enough to keep this man off the court because we don't want it to happen. And what garbage, right? They don't believe all women, and, and they never did. And this is my point, right? Tara Reid, the, the woman who accused Joe Biden, 
wasn't believed. And but because the story was so incredible, because there was nothing to certify about the story, because there was no basis for proving it, they had to go out on a limb and try to make social reality override verifiable things, override verifiable truths. And the agreement in our society, by the way, which which predates that, is innocent until proven guilty. And so if you can't prove guilt, they're innocent in Americans that we've agreed. That's one of those areas of compromise that we've agreed to for the right functioning of society. That's really, really important. I mean, it's hard for me to stress how important the idea of innocent until proven guilty is because if without innocent until proven guilty, we're all just potential victims of the state and potential victims of society without evidence because they could just turn on us for whatever desire they have to get rid of us or harm us. And that's scary. We should never accept that. But the but but it actually got to a point where the ends justified the means to the extent where people were willing to say believe women and they were what they were really saying was if we're crafting a social reality and if you're not on board you're a bad person. But they never believed all women. They did not believe Tara Reid who accused Joe Biden. And a lot of the same people that said this are being very quiet right now as Andrew Cuomo has had a second, a second, a second aide accuse him of, of sexual assault or harassment and indecency. And by the way, um, the same guy who, 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 who murdered, and maybe not intentionally in his mind, maybe it was, maybe he's just really grossly incompetent, but who killed so many people by forcing them back into nursing homes in New York against the advice of several nonprofit organizations, experts, and others. Um, fabulous guy that Andrew Cuomo is. But right now I have a lot of um, left-wing friends who are giving him the benefit of the doubt and keeping quiet. And it's not believe all women now. Because they never did. I got to be honest with you. The first thing that made me stop stop pretending that people were being genuine was the Justice Kavanaugh thing. I got some really, really nasty messages from people. I had people saying that I didn't believe them and their story because I didn't believe Blasey Ford. Because I can't, if I, I either believe all women or I don't believe anybody. And it's like, what type of emotional manipulation is that? How low can you go? How low can you go? How bad are you trying to win this argument? And like, are you like, are you deceiving yourself too? Maybe, but a lot of them weren't. And I know they weren't because they don't care now. They're not upset with Joe Biden. They're not upset with Andrew Cuomo. They're just kind of waiting, and they're kind of waiting to see which way social reality goes with these things. And I guess if 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 everybody starts to bust on Cuomo, and it seems like the dam's about to break on that one, then all of a sudden they'll believe his accusers. Call people on their crap. Don't pretend that it's genuine when it's not genuine. Don't accept that from people. That's not a healthy relationship. That's not a way to conduct a society. That's not good for our values going forward. That's not who we want to be. If we really think these things out, we'll see that that leads somewhere we don't want to go. No. No. 
always, always, always make sure that whatever you do, you can live with it after you've done it and you can feel good about it. And when you don't, repent and make the corrections change. But don't accept from people that which you know isn't true. As if it's truth. Society's real, but it doesn't get to shape reality. And that's what we were that's what I wanted to think out today. And I'm really glad you've listened. Um, I hope that you'll join me over at excogitate.net. I want to plug a couple of um, fantastic articles. Uh, one by Chris McLaughlin about uh, why the biblical worldview is anti-abortion. Great article on finances and morality from my friend uh, and uh, person in that industry, Michael Latham. Um, soon to have some profiles up of these guys. Um, and then Eric Mosher wrote a great a great article. It's really interesting to me about um, about culture and art, secular culture and art, and, and Christian values. And I think that's worth your time. And there's a couple of shorter blogs for me, uh, blog articles up for me. There's a there's a forum going on, excogitate.net. Um, come out and check it out. Drop by, like us on Facebook. Um, hit me up and send me a message if you'd like to join the group and talk. Um, and, uh, you know, I uh, appreciate you all, every one of you that took the time to stop and listen or watch this today. Um, I'm just getting going, doing my best, uh, enjoying myself, and uh, I hope that you're enjoying yourself too. Signing off.